Welcome to the Encourageous Podcast. My name is Angel Clark, and I'll be your host. Everyone goes through difficult things in life, but it takes a special type of person to use their pain to help others. That's exactly the kind of people you're going to hear from here on Encourageous. Each episode will tell the story of someone who not only survived their struggle, but is thriving. Join us for vulnerable, firsthand testimonies that will inspire you to press on. Get ready to be encouraged. teach Spanish and English. I'm really passionate about language. I love language. Um, but since February, I've been, um, have my hands a little full. Mm. So I'm home with her and doing the quarantine life with Kevin and Eden. And yep. we're outside a lot. Mm. Um, just got back from our 10 year anniversary trip oh, cool. today. Well, happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, quarantine life has been a little mm. crazy, but oh, we're I know okay. That. But I feel like, you know, we've, we've kind of had to get creative, you know? Like, we have to, like, the first couple weeks, we're like, oh, this is only going to be a couple weeks. And then we're like, yeah, no, still going. So, exactly. yeah, I'm glad to hear that you guys, you know, kind of found your rhythm. Um, so today, what we're actually, in episode 17, I shared my personal story um, about losing my daughter and also my miscarriages. It seems just, as we were talking before we started recording, they just kind of seem to get worse and worse, mm -hmm. like, you know, so I was just kind of sharing my journey with that. Um, something I did not experience, though, was not being able to get pregnant and just infertility in that sense, so, which you have, so I'm excited to hear, you know, just kind of, if you don't mind, will you just walk us through what your journey looked like? Yes, I have lots of experience with <laughs> infertility. I'm an expert. Oh, gosh, it's one of those things you're like... It's cool, but it's not cool. You're like, if you need answers, I'm here, but also, I'm sorry, you had to go Yes, I know a few statistics that, unfortunately, mm. you know, you don't really want to have to do that research, but yeah. um, that's okay. It's it's my story. I've owned it, and I've owned it now. Mm. It's taken a little bit of time, but yes. I've owned it now, um, and I, I think that God is using it and will use it in yep. the future more. Um, so Kevin and I got married in 2010, mm -hmm. and I had been um, babysitting since I was 12 years old. I got my Red Cross certification, and I was like, around the neighborhood, I'll take your kids, I'll take your kids, I'll take your kids. It was doing backyard vacation Bible school for, you know, two kids would show up. Um, I loved kids. I have six brothers, oh, so wow. I'm a part of a big family. Oh, that's a big family. So I, I just coined this phrase the other day. I had um, seventh heaven syndrome. I would watch that show with the mom and the dad and five kids. And they were this fun family with some older kids, some younger kids, a dog. It just was a show about family life and all the ups and downs, um, you know, heartwarming moments. And then the kids make mistakes and the parents have to talk to them. Just basically it, it felt like, that was my life growing up, but it also really felt like that would be my future. Mm. And in my head, you know, I was gonna have a seventh heaven mm. life. Get married, have some kids, yep. be involved in the local church. Um, that's really all I wanted to do. Mm. Um, so we got married in 2010, and 2015, we were celebrating that we made it to five years. Aww. We did the five-year plan, because my husband was in seminary, so. We decided that we got we got married at 21 years old, so we thought it would be wise to wait, wait a little bit to get him through school and then have kids. But 
anyone who knows me or knew me growing up, um, my, my brother, my little brother at my wedding, he gave a speech and he said, so when you get pregnant in nine months and one day, name him Michael oh after me, Jeffrey Michael. Mm. So we all laughed, and, but that was kind of the mentality of just, you know, Kim is a kid person. So in 2015, we um, left seminary and moved to Florida. And Kevin's like, I, I guess we're doing this. I guess we're starting to try to have a family. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes. Finally. <laughs> I, I had been waiting somewhat patiently because mm-hmm. I knew we were so young. But throughout seminary, I saw a lot of you know, seminary wives with their kids mm-hmm. constantly. There was yeah. so much pregnancy, so many bridal, sh- I mean, uh, baby showers. Yeah. So many relationships that were always involving kids. I did a ton of babysitting for extra money. So it felt very, I was getting my kid fix, my baby fix for, for those five years. And then when it was time for us to start, I was like, all right, here we go. Um, but like a year went by and I was like, um, <laughs> this isn't working. And then like a year and a half and like two years and I was like okay I like rolled my eyes like all right well guess we have to go to the doctor figure this out and I thought at that point yeah just go to the doctor see what's wrong it's probably you know just something with hormones or yep. I didn't really feel like it was that big of a deal I just I just kind of knew like it shouldn't be taking this long yep so um Unfortunately, though, we did not have the money to do all of the tests that they oh, they so kind of did that list, like yeah. this and then this and then this and this. Yep. So I did the cheap ones at first, which is your hormone test. So I went to um, get my blood drawn. And I'm telling you, I had this like giddiness. Like I was like stretching my arm out and I'm like, take my blood so I can see if I can get pregnant or why I'm not getting pregnant. I just really, I wanted to tell everybody like, this is for a bigger thing. This is this is to grow my family. This is really important to me, and I want to I want to know if something's wrong. Let's figure it out. Yep. Blood test came back normal. All my hormones were great. Ovulation completely normal. Oh wow. So I got that call from my doctor, and I was like, what, "Well, what's next?" And she said, "Your husband needs to get tested." So he gets tested a couple months later. Test came back abnormal. And the doctor called me and said, I'm sorry, based on your husband's test results, it doesn't look like you're going to be able to get pregnant mm-hmm. by your, on your own. Wow. And I was at work. I worked in a bank. It was a really awful job. <laughs> but this phone call, you know, mm-hmm. made, left me crying in the break room, yeah. like really hot tears, like, like the kind of crying that your body just kind of, oh, it's just it's just bad you just know this is this is bad news yeah and so my boss let me take a break and just calm down you know it's okay I understand she gave me a little bit of time and I went home and told my husband and he was kind of in shock mm-hmm. he was like I didn't really see this coming yeah. so for one month we were led to believe that we weren't able to get pregnant so we started making an appointment at CRM, Mm -hmm. Center for Reproductive Medicine. Yep. We show up to this appointment. You literally aren't going to believe this. We sit down with the doctor, Dr. Asante, and he's drawn stuff on his little legal pad with his pencil, and he looks at our test results, and he said, well, Kim, your test results are fine, and Kevin, your test results are fine, so (gasps) the next, uh uh-huh. And you're like, oh, (laughs) Am I deaf? Did I just hear you wrong? Kevin and I look. Um, so, Kevin's like, um, and I said, can you can you go over the test results? And he looked. He took out the piece of paper that had his test results, and he showed. Well, these, this is the parameters, and this is the number. This is the, for each thing. He showed how they were within normal range, all of them. What? And of course, I remember being at home looking over those test results, trying to figure out the parameters and the number, the parameters and the number. And to me, it did feel a little off, but I I did not trust my judgment at all. So I just wrote it off as, well, I'm not understanding this right. Mm -hmm. And I really, I don't think I would have figured it out. I think it was just, there's too much uncertainty. You don't want to go against the doctor. So he said, everything's within normal range. 
So he said, let's talk next steps. And the next step was an HSG, which I don't know what that stands for. It's a really long word, and it means a very painful, uncomfortable procedure for $1,000. Mm -hmm. Woohoo! You get a painful procedure to figure out if there's anything wrong with you. Um, we did not have the money, yeah. so we waited. So not only did we not have the money to move forward, but we had to undo all of the mental weight of thinking for a month there was nothing we could do wow so because of that kevin and i we weren't really excited it was more of confused i was yeah. very hurt from the doctor who told me that the test results were wrong yeah. i called her oh i was about to say i, I like, um i called her i left a message i talked to the nurse her nurse um, I called again, talked to them again. I wrote her a letter and I explained to her how deeply she had hurt me and I really wanted to talk to her. Really, I really wanted to ask her like why. Mm -hmm. I understand, I mean, my dad is a doctor. I understand that doctors make mistakes and I'm not saying that they should be perfect, but the fact that we had a decent relationship before then, doctor-patient relationship, and she seemed to be really on my side. She seemed to take time with me. And I appreciated that. And then she gave me these, uh, this diagnosis. And then a month later, I find out from someone else, more reliable apparently, that it was wrong. And then there was zero communication. So there was no reconciliation. Some closure, yeah. So that was hard in the, if you talk about grieving, that was one of the first things that I had to grieve was just mm -hmm. the fact that this doctor kind of misdiagnosed me and then ignored me. Yeah, and you know, that's, a little off topic, but I'm gonna say it anyways. Um, my aunt had a, a mass, and she went in to get tested, and the doctor didn't even biopsy it. Came in a room and says, "Okay, so we're gonna start chemo." Da, 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 like just starts rattling off all this stuff, and her husband stops and says, "Excuse me, um, did chemo? Did you chemo? Like, and mm -hmm. he's like, uh, yeah, your wife has cancer." And they're like, "Wait a minute, you didn't even biopsy." The, the mass, so they, he, my uncle took her home, they're like, no, we are getting a second opinion, comes back, it was, it was cancer. So, Aww. unfortunately, I hate to say it, but this does happen in the medical community. People do get misdiagnosed, and so, it's kind of crazy, just, I think you always, when you hear these stories, you never think it'll happen to you, mm -hmm. you know? And probably with, even infertility, you hear the mm -hmm. stories, and you're like, oh, well, that won't be me. You just, like you said, when you were younger, you just assumed, oh, married yep. kids, boom, happy family, you know? So sorry. Yeah. Side note. I just had to throw no, it. that's right. And and you don't think it's gonna happen to you, mm -hmm. and you don't really know what to do with it when it happens. It's a little weird. It's yeah. like you don't feel like you can trust. Mm. Um. And this comes into part later as far as how far we went in the medical arena. Yep. I didn't feel super comfortable in mm -hmm. the medical arena, anyways. Yeah. Um, but I was willing to go as I was willing to start the path. But I knew I wouldn't go super far. Um, like as, as far as doing in vitro or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, because I'm very familiar with in vitro. Bef before this happened, I was very familiar with it. And I, I kind of just had this gut feeling of, I don't know. I don't know that I would have the courage to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have the, I don't know that that would be my preference. Yeah. So I kind of already knew that I most likely wasn't going to do that yeah. but it hadn't gotten to that point yet mm -hmm. so we went home and kind of just regrouped um but i knew that hsg was a thousand dollars so mm -hmm. we ended up selling our house and moving because we were in a, a we were in a bad financial situation and kevin is brilliant and he just said one day let's just sell the house and move into a you know a, like a fixer-upper and it'll be cheaper and we can um, save some money. And I thought, okay, well, I, I would never think that the solution to our problem is to sell our house, but I trust you, and if you can get us out of this, then I, you know, I follow you. And we did, we, we sold our house and bought a fixer-upper um, that needed a lot of, like, painting for sure, but like bathroom stuff to kind of haul out and retile and, 
there was a vanity that was just like rotting and he just ripped it out and <laughs> someone made us a custom vanity. So it wasn't a bad fixer upper, but it was definitely lower price so that we could move in, make some changes, make it better, and then um, save some money. So as soon as we moved in the, into the fixer upper, we were ready for the test. So I struggle with anxiety and part of, um, part of this testing process is, uh, you feel it very physically. I, I feel very vulnerable in a hospital gown. <laughs> it's about the, for me, it feels like the lowest I can go physically. Um, so I had to do a few procedures um, with anxiety. I've had some, just, just some health concerns over the years. And so I, I've been in hospital gowns a few times and every time it just really is uncomfortable and uh, my anxiety gets, gets worse, yeah. as I'm sure that's very normal for most people. Um, <clears throat> and of course they ask you things like, are you pregnant or are you, are you nursing? Or yeah. we have to do a pregnancy test before we do this procedure. And so, yeah. you know, I had a couple of those and every time it, it just felt, it felt like I wasn't well, I wasn't healthy and that's a very vulnerable place to be and I wanted the problems always to be fixed. But I did find that God met me there. I, I find that he was, he was there with me. Um, my husband was a great source of strength during those times because I was naked in a hospital gown on a bed under anesthesia and then they wake me up and I'm like crying because it's just traumatic for me. I'm very fragile when it comes to those kind of things. Um, so this was another thing. This was an HSG. They go in and they look at your tubes. So they actually put dye. Oh, they inject the dye. Yes. I, I didn't know what it was called. I okay. Yeah. It's only like a five-minute procedure, but it's not fun I, at all. Maybe ten I minutes. I was awake. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. The anesthesia were, I had a couple other procedures oh, before okay. then. Oh, that's why I was like, dang, is that supposed to be thinking? Wait, <laughs> I, was like, I got gypped over here. Never mind. No, but... <clears throat> It does this, hurt um, it, it hurt very, very bad. Uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, it was worse than cramps. It was definitely like yeah. more of a sharper a pain. Pinch. Yeah. So they gave me like little squeeze balls that was like a sperm and an egg <laughs> for my yes. hands to squeeze. I'm like, because it's a fertility clinic. Yeah. Oh, ha ha ha, so funny. Here, let me give you a sperm and an egg. <laughs> Stress ball. I'm like, this is not helping <laughs> me. But it kind of did actually because I was squeezing the stress ball. But I was like reaching out to the nurse. I'm like, mommy, like hold me. Cause it's just, it was just really traumatic. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we, we put the dye in. It's just taking, taking a little bit longer. And then the nurse said, oh, maybe um, the dye went through finally. And maybe the doctor cleared up a blockage or something. And she was excited. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that sounds hopeful. <laughs> so we go in um, for the appointment a few weeks later. And Dr. Asante's like, yeah, we don't know what's wrong with you. He said it more eloquently. But Kevin was already cleared, so it was all on me. Yeah. All my ovulation, all my hormones were fine. Yeah. And this HSG was checking pretty much all of the inner plumbing. And he's like, you know, everything looks good. Mm. And they started talking about the other options. And it kind of crossed that line of what I was willing to do. Yep. So he was talking about um, interuterine semination, which is where they go in and put it in, mm -hmm. and then IVF, which is when they plant the... And then they put it in, yeah. Um, yeah, it's already fertilized and they plant it. So yeah. uh, he's, he, I asked him what the odds are. I asked him mm -hmm. to tell me the percentages of success or failure, and yeah. he wrote those out, and it's like 15, 20, 25. Ooh, I know. Yeah. So I'm looking at that paper again, it the yellow legal pads. It is. It'd be one thing if it was like, oh, a hundred bucks and we'll give you five shots. Or, you know, like, no, it's thousands of yeah, dollars. It's, it's, I think like 10,000 for IVF. Yeah. The IUI is, is uh, less expensive. I think yeah. it might be around a thousand. I'm not entirely sure. But it wasn't about the, it, it was a little bit about the money. I'm not gonna lie, but it was also about, um, because I had already been through so much with my health, with my anxiety, and then the just the overall wellness things that I had to get checked constantly, and I'm I'm on prescriptions, and I have been since you know 2015. Um, 
So that was always like, my body has been through a lot already. Um, I felt fairly young, you know, it was, I was only 25 in 2015, 26. Yeah. So I just didn't want to put my body through more. Yeah. Um, so we actually made the decision to just go home and think about it and pray about it. But I knew, I, as soon as he was writing IUI, IVF, I thought, darn it, really? There's like no more. And, and if I think about it, there's probably more options. He probably could, I mean, you talked about all the tests that they ran. They probably could have run a lot of tests. Yeah. And that was probably a go-between. Okay, Kim, we don't know what's wrong with you, so let's just run a bunch of tests and see what, what hits. Yeah. And in my head, even though that might have been an option, because he jumped so quickly to IUI and IVF, he didn't really give us the opportunity to explore other options, and he, it's unexplained is what he told me, mm -hmm. which is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's almost, unexplained. I kind of a bad feeling because like I remember when we were doing our testing there was one test that they did some sort of like bacteria swab or something and something came back so they gave me an antibiotic and that cleared that up so I was like okay um the one with the tubes came back perfect nothing um all the blood work my blood sugar was a little bit off but I got that fixed and then I still had three miscarriages or two after that I had two miscarriages after that and so I'm just kind of like uh, exactly you said I was good to go so it's almost right. like when you're doing those tests, you like want something to be wrong because then you're like, oh, if this is wrong, A can fix B, here we go. So when there is no, when they're literally saying to you, we have no idea why this is happening, it's almost, it's even more heartbreaking almost because you're like, well, well, now what? You know, if there's right. nothing wrong, what? What do y'all want me to do? Yeah. We do the thing that you're supposed to do to get pregnant and we're not getting pregnant. So that's all I can do on my end, I'm sorry. Um, I wanna read just a few statistics because um, some of these are the numbers we've been facing the last few years. Mm -hmm. So one in eight couples are affected by infertility mm -hmm. and this is from fertilityanswers.com. Okay. Um, so that's not, I mean, 12, 15%. Yeah. You, let's see, the um, average age of females when their fertility starts to decline is 35. So mm -hmm. in the back of my head, I was always planning my family according to age 35. Mm -hmm. So I was like, 26, oh yeah, I'm fine. 27, 28, I'm like, well, if I'm gonna have five kids, I need to do. 26, 28, 30, 32, 34, and that gets me my, so you know, done. Yep. right, so you're just kind of doing your math, like, yeah. you know, it's so hilarious that I thought I could plan my kids every two years spaced yeah. out evenly with, done by 35, get my five kids, here we go, it did not work that way, um, <laughs> some people, <laughs> yeah, this is this one is interesting. Thirty percent of the cases of infertility are solely attributed to the female. Okay. Thirty cases are solely to the male. Mm -hmm. Thirty percent are a combination of both, and ten percent the cause is unknown. Mm -hmm. So this is actually the statistic that my husband and I <laughs> researched as we were driving home from the fertility clinic. Kevin said, "Look up what." the chances are for us to get an unexplained infertility diagnosis and I thought okay well I don't really know how to find that but I I did and it was this it's 10% of the couples struggling with infertility and one in eight struggle with infertility so we did some quick math and it was like 5% or something have unexplained infertility um, and then the kicker, though, is 90% of infertility cases are treatable with medical therapies, drug treatment, surgical repair, and then IUIs and IVF. 90%. But I have heard of people doing IVF 20 times. Mm. That's $10,000 a pop. Oof. Millions of shots. You can't even imagine how many shots IVF takes. I I am proud of those women going through what they go through mm. to grow their family because those children are so loved. Oh yeah. 
so, so, so loved because the parents have sacrificed. Mm -hmm. I mean, their bodies, yep. their mind, their mental energy, their spirit, they've put their faith in, we are going to have these children. And yeah. I, I I'm thankful for IVF. Um, I don't think that I could do it. I just knew, yeah. no, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want the shots. I don't want to be yeah. pricked. I don't want to take drugs. I don't want, I, my body, my poor body has already been through enough. Mm -hmm. So that's when Kevin and I decided we weren't going to pursue medical treatment. Yeah. But we didn't really have our answer. Mm -hmm. um, Kevin and I did not talk about this a lot. And that's actually one surprising fact, and maybe not a fact, maybe it was just us, mm -hmm. but um, I, I don't think it's ever just us. I think there's always someone else struggling with what we're struggling with. Yeah. And in this case, it was, um, I didn't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. It hurt me. Yeah. And, and believe me, I want to talk about everything. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about stuff all the time. I'm, I do not shy away from conversations. But because in my head I was doing the math of how, how to squeeze in five kids and you know before 35, mm. the fact that I wasn't able to get pregnant messed everything up. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to believe that mm. I wasn't able to have a family. Yeah. It's such a logical um, next step. I mean, we'd been married you know over five we did the five-year plan like can we get some credit for that but it just wasn't God's timing um so I hadn't really wrestled with my infertility I hadn't really grieved it I hadn't really wrestled with it yep I was still like in denial with it almost. Yeah. yeah I was still in denial um I thought mm, no I'll you know it'll happen I'll get pregnant or it'll be fine It'll be fine. So 2018, my husband does this really sweet and compassionate thing called making me go to a foster care seminar. <laughs> oh. um, because he had seen a flyer for it and someone else had told him about it and he had told me about it, just you know, mentioned it. And I thought, I don't, I don't know. I am emotionally capable mm. of going to a seminar where they talk about foster care and adoption because in the back way back in my head I thought if I have to go to a foster care and adoption seminar then I'm not birthing my own children mm. and I did not want to believe that yeah. so I waited for him to push he the issue <laughs> and he did he signed us up he signed us up and we went in Orlando, mm -hmm. um, and we listened to heartbreaking stories mm. of um, children that had grown up in the foster care system and then had oh. been adopted out. We heard from pastors who adopted. Um, I cried basically the whole time. <laughs> I don't know that I ever stopped crying. Oh no! Just heard, just hearing those stories back to back to back was was very hard. Oh. So we sat there and we actually went to up, you know, and then like they, they had a big room where we were all in there together and then they released us to go to separate rooms. And we actually heard from someone in our county that talked about foster care in our county and what that looks like oh, okay. and adoption. But really it was foster care focused yeah. and then adoption kind of was a next step. Yeah. But it was, it was really good information. I went home from that overwhelmed, completely mm -hmm. overwhelmed because you get all this information and yes. a lot of emotional stories and so they emotional. sent books home. Of course, so I was excited to read those. Yes. Like, all right, well, I'll just read about it. I don't have to do anything. Can I just read about it? Because it was all very new. Yeah. My husband, though, did start, his heart was really starting to lean towards foster care. Mm -hmm. And I was just learning about it. I will just say that um, my heart was not completely open yeah. um, because it's it's a difficult thing. Oh. Foster care, in its definition, mm. is built from heartbreak yes. and broken families. Yeah. Um, so that's a hard place to start. Mm -hmm. 
So that was in April of 2018. Um, so we had moved into the fixer upper and we had been working on all the house, all the rooms in the house, but there was this guest room. It's really only two bedrooms. So there was our bedroom and then the other bedroom. All three of the rooms in this house. And that was kind of the last one to get ready. Um, and he bought a bed one day offline, just out of the blue. We had kind of talked about it. We were like, well, I'm not sure how many beds we need or if I don't know if we're going to have a baby, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know what to do. I was very frozen. I was like, I don't know. Can we just keep waiting? Let's just keep waiting because I'll say it again. Waiting was easier than facing mm -hmm. the reality. So I just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed yeah. reality away yep. and stayed in my little... Um, Let's just wait let's just wait maybe this will happen and surprise me and yay I'll be pregnant and blah 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 all, all my dreams will come true which is kind of funny to think now um, so we had the guest room and he had bought the bed so I went and bought a blanket like a big beautiful blanket blue and pillows and I took a picture of it and I posted it online and this was June of 2019 and I said, okay, everyone, <laughs> we're going to pray for God to fill this guest room. We don't know who's going in there. Could be an elderly woman who needs assistance. It could be a teenage mom who needs a little bit of help. It could be a college student. It could be a foreign exchange student. We had applied for a foreign exchange student program. Um, it could be a baby. It could be foster siblings. It really, I, I was casting the net really wide. Yep. Again, it's a defense mechanism because I was still not facing the fact that I wasn't able to get pregnant. I was still saying, oh, it'll be fine. We're going to fill this guest room with whoever. And I was keeping it positive. My heart was heavy, though. Mm. So we, that was June. In September, we had met someone um, who had adopted three kids out of um, the same county 20 years ago. And they actually did it with the help of a lawyer. Mm. So it wasn't through the foster care system and yeah. it wasn't through an adoption agency. Okay. It was through a lawyer. Oh. And it was significantly cheaper, cheaper than an adoption agency. Oh, I'm sure. So Kevin and I went crazy trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this? How do, how do, what, what, anyone know a lawyer? We were calling lawyers, we were emailing them, we were finding out what safe haven babies are, mm -hmm. which are when they... Just drop them off. Yep, fire, fire um, fire, what, fire department? Fire station. Fire station. The other one. Fire station, um, police station, hospital. It's the little emblem with like the two hands hugging, there's like the oh, yellow sign. That, and it's a safe zone? Yeah, so I guess anywhere that you see that sign posted, people know they can drop their babies out there. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Have you not seen yeah. it before? Say, like I think a, it says safe zone. Yeah, it might. Yep. So that's arms. where you get safe haven babies. Yes. But we hit a roadblock with that because, mm -hmm. again, this is Kevin and I trying to wiggle our way around the system mm -hmm. that is already set in place to get a baby. Before I was even really... I can see clearly now that, that I was not in the right mental space because... I was like jumping hurdles. Mm. I was like cheating. I was like trying to get where I wanted to go with the least amount of pain. Mm. And it was a Sunday morning. I went to church and I was sitting in church and I just lost it. Mm. I just started crying Un uncontrollably. So I went to the bathroom. I sat on the little toddler stools that they have you stand on when the little toddlers are washing their hands. I sat on that in my skirt, in my high heels, and I cried. And I said, Lord, how did this happen? I am, I am, I think I was turning 30. Yeah, 2019. I am turning 30 years old. I've been married for nine years. I have zero children. How? Why? What is going on? It almost, it was like a huge slap in the face of reality, of Kim, you are a childless woman after you applied, 
17 years ago to the Red Cross to take babysitting classes so that you could help raise other people's kids. And here you are, still childless, with an empty womb and an empty guest room. And I, I went home early that day. And the friend who had adopted the three kids and told us about the lawyer adoption, she came over and she stayed for six hours. And we just worked through my infertility. We talked about how angry I was. We talked about how hurt I was, how confused I was. It was as if God was finally clicking something in my heart and saying, like, you have not grieved this. You have not owned your childless state as a 30-year-old woman who's been married for nine years. You haven't. And you need to do that. And it was so painful. It was so painful. It hurt bad. And my friend was there for me. And she helped me work through it. And that was September. And a couple weeks later, we got our first adoption call asking if we would take a baby. Oh. And he was born um, in put in the NICU because he had an emergency mm-hmm. surgery right away and he was a safe haven baby. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> we applied and Kevin and I looked at each other and we're like, what is happening? I don't know. What, do, you know do you know what to do? I don't know what to do. Are you ready to be a dad? I'm not, I don't, I don't, he's already here. Look at the picture. And we're like, sure, let's go for it. So um, we applied and then two days later they called and said they chose another family oh. that had more medical. medical. Yeah because the baby would be the baby was actually doing better and so they would go home sooner and because we didn't have our home study they gave the baby to the other family um so that was actually our first adoption fail Mm -hmm. um and i put that in quotations because we went through several of those before we got eden um so from september to february kind of that that's that's more of the adoption journey but as far as infertility it doesn't end, unfortunately. Um, even after adoption, yeah. you are still infertile. Mm. So I still, to this day, am wrestling with infertility emotions mm. when other people announce that they're pregnant. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's always going to suck for me. Yeah. <laughs> my, my closest friends know that that's a fragile thing. Yeah. And I'm not expecting people to not announce that they're pregnant. It's fine. You guys go on living your life. I I have the grace of God and I have God's comfort. And that's what I need to turn to. I don't need to be protected from pain. I need to turn to him in my pain. And that's one thing that um, I really felt through this whole process is his presence. And Mm. I I would take that. I would take that over, you know, just getting the things I want. No, I don't think it's really about that. Yeah. So I think that that's most of. <laughs> I mean, it's it's an infertility of, saga. I think that anytime I ask somebody to come on this show, you're taking your life or years of your life and trying to condense it into like a little, like not highlight reel because it's not like not necessarily good memories. But so yeah, I think it's hard to kind of condense everything. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate you kind of having it all you know organized. Um, I definitely, I have to say something that you said that was so good about you're always going to feel the pain of infertility. And I can relate to that because losing my daughter, you know, there's certain, when I see a girl who's about the same age as she would be, because she was born in 2010, so she would be, her birthday's June, she would have just turned 10. So when I see like a little 10-year-old girl, especially one, because she had like jet black hair and like bright blue eyes, it's beautiful. Um, When I see a little girl with dark hair who's about her age, that's going to, that's always going to hurt me. And I'm not angry at that family. I'm not like, oh, well, why did they get to have their daughter? It's just like, there's always this pain of like, man, I wish, you know, or like when my my two sons were born, I would have had an older, they would have had their older sister here to welcome them, you know? So like, especially when my, um, my second son, who's my third child, when he was born, my older son came and got to hold him. And like, that would have happened when my first son was born. My Mm -hmm. older daughter would have come held him. And so it was kind of like this, I feel like it's always there's just such bittersweetness in it you know it's like for you every time you look at your daughter you're like oh she's beautiful I get to be a mom and then you're like but I'm never gonna feel a baby kick or I'm never gonna see my belly grow like there's things that you're just not you know that you just don't get to experience and I feel like that too so I think that's a good point because I think a lot of people I don't know for example if you're I don't know 
dad passes away or if you're struggling with addiction, whatever it is, there's still going to be times when you feel that pain. Mm-hmm. Just because you heal from something doesn't mean you're not going to feel the pain. Right. Especially like, I call it like, it's called ambush grief where it just like sneaks up on oh, you. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So like with my daughter, certain songs remind me of her or like certain smells, certain things like that. And so if I'm in the car and it, the song comes on at the right moment, not every day, but certain days it just like flood floodgates are open I just oh, can't wow. help it you know and it's embarrassing when it happens in front of people so <laughs> I'm always like hopefully it happens when I'm in my car and no one can see me but <laughs> it has happened in front mommy of people. why are you crying <sighs> I know um and so I think that's a good point that you bring up is it it's still even if you heal from something you can still experience pain from it at certain at some point so I think right. that's good just to let people know you know Mm-hmm. Life's not easy. It's gonna mm-hmm. you sometimes. Yes, ambush. Yes, exactly. Okay, so if someone who's listening to this right now is still walking through their infertility journey, you know, they haven't been able to adopt or they're still waiting on some test results or they're where you are where they don't want to do IVF, you know, what, what sort of encouragement could you offer to someone who's where you were five years ago? Right. Um, one of the best online resources that helped me a lot was called Waiting in Hope. Oh, okay. They're on Instagram okay. and they're on, um, um, I guess they're on Facebook. I think I only follow them on Instagram. I actually was able to write a few articles for them and oh, cool. um, they, they focus on infertility, but they also focus on waiting well. Mm. There's a lot of women in that group Oh, they are on Facebook because they're in a group. Um, so there's a lot of conversations going on okay. of people like headed to the doctor's appointment mm. and dealing with shots and having secondary infertility, oh, which yeah. is when you have a child and then can't get pregnant a second time yeah. or a third time or whatever. Yep. Um, so infertility is defined as not being able to conceive naturally after one year. Mm-hmm. So even if you've had a child, if you try for a whole year after you have already had your child, you have secondary infertility. Yeah. And I believe there's tertiary or whatever, you know, that on goes down the line after, mm-hmm. you know, the more kids you have. Yep. So that was one of the best resources that I had. Um, I remember posting one day, I was really angry because someone, and, and this is like this with anything of what people say, and when you talked about it on your other um, show, you said, you said uh, people say the wrong thing. They mm. say, um, oh, at least that this didn't happen. Or, well, you should feel good that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you told them, don't say that. That is not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Basically the same thing with infertility. Um, people just say dumb things like, have you been to the doctor? <laughs> Which blows my mind. I just, I really wanted, this conversation was actually in Spanish, so I actually didn't, you know, blow my top. But I thought about it. But she was like, have you been to the doctor? And I wanted to be like, oh my word, that's such a good idea. Why did I not think of that? A doctor? You know, <laughs> maybe they would be able to. Doctor. What is a doctor? Like, you think they could help me? And I, I don't know. It, you just don't feel like a good Christian when people say stupid things. And yeah. you just want to be like... I mean, I always just report the, my findings to Kevin at home when I'm in the kitchen, you know, flipping dinner on the stove and telling him about the day and what stupid people said. And I'm yelling, like, how do you not know? Like, of course I've been to the doctor. Why would you think I didn't go to the So. I know. Anyways, I remember going on that page and just, like, ranting and saying, yeah. you know what, ladies? It's okay for people to say stupid things. That's not where our hope lies. <laughs> that is not what we need. We don't need the affirmation of other people. No. Just turn to God's grace to get us through even even these tough moments. Exactly. Um, I would also say to feel the feelings. Mm. I definitely pushed away the feelings. And I, do you know the Enneagram very well? I really love the Enneagram because it kind of highlights why we do what we do. Mm. And part of what the seven does, which I'm actually not a seven, um, but part of the seven doesn't want to feel any pain. So complete avoidance of pain. Like okay. they will do anything to not feel pain. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes I do tend to do that, especially mm-hmm. with infertility. I'm like, nope, 
I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it with my husband because I don't want to see the look on his face where he's just like, well, I don't know what to do. And yeah. and he does, you know, he doesn't have the seventh heaven syndrome that I do. Yeah. Um, and of course, he wants to be a dad, but he doesn't feel it as strongly as I do. And as women, that's okay yeah. for our husbands not to feel the same way we do. Mm. It hurts. I question God's motives when he made Adam and Eve. Like, why did you make us so starkly different? I don't understand. Yep. Because I feel like there's some things we just can't relate on. We can't agree. And that's another thing is it's okay if you and your husband disagree. There's still things to this day about infertility or adoption or open adoption or foster care that Kevin and I don't really see 100% eye to eye. He has more of a passion in this arena and I have more of a passion in this arena and it's okay. I don't have to always be on the exact same page, same word, same letter as my husband. It's it's okay, we're actually human, so (laughs) you don't have to do that. Um, That was kind of a hard thing to accept of like, oh, well, maybe he doesn't want to be a dad because he's not talking about it with me. No, he's just, he doesn't think about it as much as I do. So if I need to talk about it, then I need to, you know, finish our dinner and look at him and hold his hand and be like, babe, I'm really upset about something and I just need you to listen because I know maybe you don't understand and that's okay, but can you just like listen? You don't even really have to care that much. Like I'm not accept- I'm not expecting you to take on all of my hurt, but can you just listen yeah. and love me? because I'm about to go off about this lady at the, you know, <laughs> who said this stupid thing. And and he's there for me. Mm-hmm. He's not going to reject me and say, no, Kim, you're a crazy person. I'm going to leave the room. No, he's logical. He knows that it's better for him in the long run if he holds my hand and looks me in the eyes and yeah. says, okay, I, I see you and I hear you. <laughs> yes, if nothing else. That's... Right. That's kind of what, what I needed. Um, I... I prayed a lot. Mm. I prayed a lot because I needed to pray. I needed to know that God was here. I needed to feel him. I needed to want him. Like, I needed to crave him. Mm. And I told him that over and over. Like, I don't just want a baby. Of course I want a baby. Of course all women, mostly, you know, desire to have children or be involved in children's lives or whatever. That's a very natural desire. Yeah. and I, I did want that, but I wanted him more. I wanted, I knew it would be better for me to want him. Mm-hmm. So as much as I wanted a family and as much as I was pouting about infertility and just dealing with all of that, I knew I, I needed to take this season to look him in the face and crave him and, and feel his presence. Mm-hmm. So I did... I, I did try to feel his presence. I tried to feel his arms around me. Um, and even after Eden was born and I was home with her trying to bond with her, you know, I didn't have nine months to prepare. So we, we did a lot of bonding <laughs> and it was quarantine. So there was a lot of bonding. Took it to the next level. Right. And I, I would be in that recliner and I would be holding her and I, I felt God holding me as I was holding her. Mm-hmm. I felt... Maybe it was just the puffiness of the recliner, like, (laughs) around my shoulders as I was holding her and cradling her in my arms. But I wanted to, because then I was exhausted. I was kind of burnt out. I was trying to bond with a baby that just came to my house so fast. You know, I was physically maybe not 100%. So it was a challenge then. Um, And I, I desperately wanted to feel his presence. So I would say that those would be your tips yeah and someone said I think it was in waiting and hope or or somewhere else on Instagram they said my body is not broken because of infertility like your body's not broken I don't believe that because I still feel that my body is broken I still feel that it doesn't do what God created women's bodies to do and there are many women that suffer from any sorts of things that would feel that their body is broken yeah and I'm not saying that I'm there yet but it would probably help to begin to embrace the, the mentality that my body's not broken. Mm. But I still feel a little bit that maybe I'm a little bit bitter. Just like, oh, seriously? 
You're pregnant? Again? How many do you have? Two? Three? Four? I'm like on zero. I'm at the lowest of the low and you are like sprouting children from every part of you, which is great. I'm very happy for you, but my body does not know how to do that. Yeah. I know it's definitely, um, I feel like it's always going to be like that. It's always going to be like a bittersweet, especially with someone you're close with. Like, I, you don't have sisters, but like I have a sister. And so if she were ever to get pregnant, it would be like this. Mm -hmm. definitely bittersweet you know it's like oh I'm happy but I'm sad like I get so I get that point of it right um so thank you for sharing everything with us I really appreciate you just being like an open book um if people really liked your story and they want to connect with you what would be the best way for them to do that so I have a website kimpatton.com and I write there regularly um every month I send out an email so I would love for everyone and their mom to join my email list <laughs> If you go to like Kim, <laughs> yes, no, literally, you and your mom, yes, please, like, sign up for it. I'm not kidding. Um, if you have a sister, a cousin, a niece, <laughs> put them all on there. Your dog. I'll take your dog's email. Um, so I actually know someone who made a Facebook for their dog. People really do that. You would be surprised. I'll take it. Can they read? I mean, they might read my post about infertility and have tears rolling down their little puppy faces. I don't know. Um, if you go to kimpad.com, you Can just you click it stay in touch. Yeah, so it's Kim, K-A-M-P as in Paul, A-T-T-O-N. Okay, Pat. Yep. Pat, like the general. And um, there's a stay in touch email list. And then I also have a Facebook author page that I write weekly. So every Tuesday I write um, on the Facebook author page. It's usually a little shorter. Um, sometimes there's a picture. Today is Wednesday. So yesterday I posted about how we were supposed to be in the Bahamas mm -hmm. for our 10 year anniversary cruise oh, that got canceled. Yes. So the beginning of my story yesterday was I am not in the Bahamas. Yeah. And I talked about what it feels like to go through quarantine and miss out on things, but yeah. also celebrate your anniversary in the midst of this and how just the tension of um, trying to find beauty in our mess. Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds so cliche, but I just write about what's going on from my heart. I write straight from my heart. So the monthly posts are on my website, and those are more um, really focused on infertility, anxiety, adoption, open adoption, birth mother, you know, interactions, um, marriage, ministry, kind of all the things. I actually occasionally write historical fiction. Um, that's a little bit more rare, but I love writing. It gives me a lot of joy mm -hmm. to just sit at my computer and crank out whatever I want to talk about. And people are gracious, and they actually read it and what? enjoy it because it comes from my heart. Like yeah. I was telling you, if it doesn't come from my heart, they're like, next. Yeah. They, they want to hear like the gut-wrenching infertility story. Yeah. So I do have to be vulnerable and, that, yeah. and open, and I think that's what my readers really like. So if you're into that sort of thing, I have plenty of that. Well, that sounds perfect. Okay, well, like I said, thank you for joining me on here, and I hope everyone has thank a you. wonderful day. Catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Encourageous Podcast. I hope today's story left you feeling encouraged and inspired. Come back every other Thursday for a new episode and be sure to subscribe. Your support makes a world of a difference, especially for a new and bi-weekly podcast like this one. If you want to connect with me on social, you can find me on both Instagram and Facebook at The Encourageous Podcast. Until next time, stay encourageous. Encourageous.